This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. I'm Sam Sachs. Sam Knight is slapping bulls on the ass in Pamplona. He'll be back next week. In his place today, though, we've got friend of the show, journalist and activist from our sister city of Philadelphia, Ted Kelly. I chatted with Ted earlier today about what the police are up to in Philly and why it's high time to just abolish them. I'm going to play that interview for you in just a second and then return to you on the other end to read some new haiku for our Patreon subscribers. Speaking of which, quick reminder, you can support our news co-op here in Washington, D.C. by becoming a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com slash district sentinel, five bucks a month ensures that you don't miss any content that we put out. You get it all. You also get to nominate people for the garbage can at the end of the week, and you get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. In fact, we're doing a promotion right now where if you sign up for as little as just $1 or whatever you can spare, you get a haiku. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Okay, here's Ted Kelly. Ted, we're going to talk about abolishing the police. You've got a reported piece up on Workers World right now that examines the situation in Philly and makes a pretty good case for abolition. First, let's go over some of the news coming out of Philadelphia. Last week, the Philly Police Commissioner Richard Ross Jr. resigned in response to sexual harassment and racial and gender discrimination within his department. His resignation also came right after you published this expose in Workers World, laying out even worse behavior by the department. What does uh, Ross's departure mean right now? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's one of those things where you're disappointed that you didn't have the time to include a story in your piece, but also, it's like, yeah, I know I was writing about the right thing, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so Richard Ross uh, is was the police commissioner for the Philly PD. Uh, unlike uh, a lot of these high-level police commissioners, Ross was actually from Philadelphia. You know these guys like Ray Kelly and other high-profile police commissioners for major East Coast cities. They usually float around um, and like go to wherever there's like a good political appointment for them. But Ross was from Philadelphia. Um, he was a, a black cop. Um, who sort of rose through the ranks. And when he resigned very suddenly, it sort of took everyone by surprise. And, you know, know, the the district attorney, the mayor, all the, you know, a bunch of people came out and congratulated him on a, you know, flawless and sterling career, sort of not mentioning the fact that he is resigning in disgrace. Yeah, he's not not uh, retiring (laughs) after a lot of years or anything. Yeah. He he has been covering up and refusing to investigate a very long history of sexual discrimination, sexual harassment, and racial discrimination in the Philly police force. Um, there's there's been lawsuits that have gone and settled for uh, African American police officers who have actually raised complaints about their fellow white cops um, treating them in you know racist ways and using racial slurs. Um, and there's been this suit pending from uh, a handful of women on the police force um, who, you know, they, they've been sort of like slow walking this investigation. And it turns out the news broke right after Ross resigned that this is a lawsuit that is you know, going to go forward now. 
Um, the the sort of other angle of this scandal is that what we're learning now from a Philly Inquirer article is that Ross was actually having an affair with one of the women who is brought brought the suit or had been having an affair. And when that broke off, he decided that in retribution, he was not going to investigate the claims of sexual harassment that she was bringing against mm. the police department. So it's, it's a complete mess. It's, it's proof that, I mean, when you think about what we all know about how police are domestic abusers, about their social media posts with this transphobic, sexist, racist stuff that they post in public, um, it really shouldn't come as any surprise that behind closed doors in their own facilities and precincts, they're treating uh, their, their own coworkers terribly. No, that shouldn't surprise us at all. And certainly these are serious allegations, pretty messed up stuff um, and deserving of him stepping down right now. But he's not stepping down for all sorts of things that arguably are even worse. And we've seen a number of incidents in just the last month or two months that you highlight in this article you put up on Workers World uh, where people have been killed. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it Ross's replacement um, is a, a woman named Christine Coulter, um, who, you know, by the way, I think it's kind of disgusting that you know, one of the first things she says when she becomes police commissioner is, well, I've never personally experienced any discrimination or harassment. You know, um, She's but, the, one, uh, the one woman who's never experienced it. it yeah, right, exactly. But it's a perfect microcosm of how they're trying to you know, move on from this scandal and, as you just mentioned, you know, the long history of, of murderous attacks on, on the community. Um, Christine Coulter in, in 1994 was a police sergeant who covered up the murder of a truck driver who was beaten to death by, by police. Um, she was actually suspended for um, failing to investigate and uh, you know, deal properly with this police brutality case. Um, but through arbitration, her uh, reprimand was removed, and that allowed Mayor Kenny to appoint her police commissioner by saying she has a sterling, flawless record. You know, but um, in yeah, just in the last couple months, um, there's been what really looks like an escalation um, on the part of the police uh, in their attacks in the community. There is a young man named Bryant Henry, his name is B.J. Henry, um, who was killed by police uh, on a subway station at Broad and Olney. Um, he, apparently the situation was police were doing, what I assume is police were doing a stop and frisk, which is still policy in the city um, to sort of arbitrarily detain and search uh, young, mostly young men of color. Um, and police claim that he struggled with them and fell onto the subway tracks um, and died when he hit the third rail. It's a gruesome situation. Exactly. There were witnesses on the subway platform at the time who claimed that police uh, shot him with their taser, which caused him to fall onto the subway tracks. Um, there, I mean, it, it was like I said, it was a subway platform. It was daytime. The uh, Witnesses there immediately confronted the police and said, you, you know, you just murdered this man. Um, one 
a witness actually had her phone taken away from her and trashed because she had recorded what had happened. So um, there was a great piece in uh, by some investigative reporters in Philadelphia that went in the Inquirer um, that basically laid out all these witness statements of people who saw the, the police murder of Bryant Henry. Um, and then the police came out and said, actually, there was no taser uh, deployed. We have surveillance video that corroborates the police narrative, but we will not release that video. So we just have to take their word for it. And meanwhile, a young man is dead. You know, um, it's this withholding of the video evidence is one of the most common tactics that the DA's office and the police department uses. Ironically, in this period of, oh, we'll have body cams and then all police will act on their best behavior. Um, they can record surveillance footage and body cam footage and then just not release it um, if it is damning. There was a case uh, a couple of years ago of a, a man named Khalil Lawal, who was actually from Virginia. He was visiting a family from out of state. And he was shot to death one night by a, an off-duty Philly detective in South Philly. Um, he was shot 15 times point blank. And the family of Khalil Wall said that they saw the surveillance video from a, you know that was captured from a nearby uh, business, and it shows that this off-duty cop just accosted Lawal. He was parking. He didn't. He was lost in you know a city that wasn't his home, and this cop came up to him and and killed him because um, he saw a black man in his neighborhood. Um, so the family actually saw that video and is now fighting for the surveillance tape to be released because it shows that, you know, this was not just a terrible tragedy. This was actually a, a real, you know, heinous case of police violence. Um, at the, you know, that Netroots Nation conference yeah. that happened back in July? Yeah. That was in Philly. Um, so DA Larry Krasner was speaking on a panel there and some Black Lives Matter activists, um, people from a group here in Philly called Real Justice, which is a really good uh, progressive black uh, anti-police violence group, um, and also members of uh, the MOVE organization, including Pam Africa, the Minister of Confrontation. They confronted Larry Krasner and um, asked him to release the footage of Khalil Wall's murder, um, which he's refusing to do, says it's an ongoing investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and... Pam Africa, I think, summed it up pretty well. She's like, hey, listen, Larry, like, I didn't vote for you, but, you you know, you've done some good things. I'm not going to, you know, pretend that you haven't. But when it comes to these police murders, you are siding with the police every time. You've blocked, you've tried to block appeal rights from Omiya Abu-Jamal. You're withholding evidence from these, these police murders. Um, you know, like we're asking you as a community to just do the right thing so that we can, you know, not just try and sweep these things under the rug. It was, it was the, a really gross response on the part of the district attorney. He basically compared the Black Lives Matter activists to Donald Trump. Hmm. He said, oh, there's so much misinformation coming out of this group right now that it reminds me of what's happening in the White House. Wow. I know. it's It's shocking, but... Well, I'm, I'm, glad, was just... I'm glad you brought up Krasner because 
this is a guy who ran as a progressive prosecutor, if such a thing exists, someone who claimed he'd take an adversarial role to the police. But as you've noted, he's taken the side of the police uh, on a lot of these issues. And we're seeing Krasner himself engage in some of these abuses. You can um, tell the audience a little bit more about the role he played in that standoff recently uh, in Philly. But and I think I asked you this question another time you've been on the show here, but is your read that, that Krasner is a guy who tricked a lot of people into thinking he'd be some groundbreaking progressive DA, or is this just, are we seeing with Krasner the limits of just how progressive a DA can actually be? Right, yeah. And I, I think that's a question that a lot of progressives have struggled with, you know, because certainly uh when he was elected shortly after, you know, the 2016 election, it was, it felt like a a real victory. You know, Krasner was a former defender. You know, I have friends and comrades that he has defended. um, And, but we knew that he was, he was a liberal, you know? Um, But you go to the the courtroom now, uh, no matter who the district attorney is, and you see the daily process of what they're doing there. It's gun charges, trumped up drug charges, like the day-to-day process of corralling black and brown people into this prison system, using whatever legal justification you can to send them upstate. Um, That hasn't changed under Krasner, and nor can it. That's the nature of the district attorney's office, any prosecutor's office, has to take the cop's word, prosecute based on their evidence. Um, But, you know, I was talking to uh, somebody who actually worked on Krasner's campaign uh, back in 2017, and it was shortly after uh, Krasner decided that he was going to try and block Mumia's appellate rights after Judge Tucker granted him new rights to appeal his, his conviction. And this campaign worker, she told me, Krasner made suckers of us. And I think that's sort of the prevailing mood right now. Um, you know, he was, he definitely ran a progressive campaign. He had funding and backing from the, the standard Democratic fundraisers. You know, he had, I think he outspent the rest of his opponents in the DA's race by like a million plus dollars. So he was an establishment choice albeit uh, one who ran as a progressive. Um, but when it comes to, he, you know, I think he, the, the fraternal order of police is such a powerful force in this city. Um, it, the, the police everywhere wield undue power, but folks should recognize that in, in Philadelphia, the fraternal order of police is, I mean, it's like dealing with a, a, a really powerful mafia organization in the yeah. city, you know? Uh, Frank Rizzo was our notorious police commissioner, then mayor, um, and the the way he built that police department, um, it's his legacy is we we live with it every day. Um, he once bragged when he was mayor that uh, the Philadelphia Police Department could invade Cuba and win. So when we talk about militarization, militarization of the police, that was going on even. Uh, as early as the 70s. Yeah, and talk about uh, anti-communism as well. Um, oh, my God, yeah. And and Rizzo actually uh, 
when he was trying to run for a third term in 78, he got endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, that was when he ran for mayor on a slogan of vote white. So it's, it was so out in the open, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and that's, you know, there's still a statue to him right in, uh, across the street from City Hall. It's like yeah, the Philadelphia equivalent. You have, yeah, that's right. It's like having a statue of Bull Connor in Birmingham, Alabama. Hmm. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that. I'm sure folks uh, have heard about that eight-hour standoff that happened in the Nicetown area of North Philly. Um, yeah. And like you said, Krasner was personally involved in some of that. But um, it's so just for a little bit of background, the Philly DA's office and the Philly police regularly issue these search warrants for parts of North Philly. Um, the residents actually call them jump out Tuesdays. It's like, we know so often that the police are going to come rolling through the neighborhood with a piece of paper that gives them justification to search houses, like genuinely or generally like fuck with the community. And, and it's, you know, it's like a, a military occupation raid, you know, and this was what was happening with, one of them um, uh, a couple weeks ago when this standoff happened. So the, the cops had a, a search warrant. Um, Maurice Hill's name was not on the search warrant. It was for a residence. Um, but instead, the police went to a house two doors down, a completely different address, and they busted in the door. They ran in. They went to the basement. They went to the second floor. They took to the kitchen. And um, Maurice Hill, who lived in that house, you know, from his perspective, all he sees is a bunch of people with guns running into his house, you know, and it seems like he what he did is defend himself with his gun. Um, there was a standoff. The police are claiming that six uh, police officers were shot. Um, the police claim that Maurice Hill shot was using a, a AR-15 rifle. Um, but all six of the police officers who were um, hurt in the standoff were you know, admitted to the hospital and released within an hour. So I'm, I'm no ballistics expert, but I, <laughs> I kind of thought that if you get shot with a high-powered rifle, you get more <laughs> than a, a scratch. But yes, I don't know. It sounds know. like they know. scuffed their knees or something. Yeah, right, exactly. There was actually there was a seventh police officer um, who was hurt. Um, but he was, he wounded himself while on the way to the scene. So I'll just leave that out there with no comment. So uh, it, basically this was a pretext for like a complete occupation of North Philly, which the Tioga, nice town section of North Philly, it's 85% black. It's after the industrial collapse of the seventies where the textile plants in Philly closed down it became an incredibly impoverished neighborhood. Uh, I think North Philly, of the top 10 poorest zip codes in the country, North Philly has two of those zip codes. Um, and the, the police do these quote-unquote safety sweeps in the area. Um, if that's not a harrowing term, I don't know what it is. Um, and that was what was going on um, in, in Tioga. They believed that drugs or weapons were going into the house because they saw a duffel bag outside. So they raided these houses, including Maurice Hill's house, which again was not on the search warrant. Um, now 
like I was just like, again, this went on for like eight hours. I went to get groceries. I could hear the helicopters flying overhead and it was, it was remarkable by how many people were, you know, just talking about it, like looking, watching this unfold on TVs and like, you know, delis and stuff, uh, that I walked past and everyone I spoke to was like, yeah, they're going to kill him. I mean, this is sad. It's, you know, there, there's no way that guy's coming out alive. But when Marty still did was he holed up in his house. He waited for the media to get there. He demanded his lawyer and with the eyes of the country watching and with legal, uh, you know, his, his, his lawyer there to help negotiate on his behalf, he ended up walking out. Um, so that's, you know, I, I have to say it's fundamental, and especially when we talk about police abolition, but black people in this country have the right to defend themselves, um, whether it's from a white supremacist, gun-toting, you know, racist, or someone who's not a police officer. Um, <laughs> Agreed. But, yeah, and, and also with these, these no-knock warrants that the cops do in Philly, like, it was only last year that cops busted into the house of Ricardo Giddings, who was a 59-year-old man who was sitting in his house watching TV with his wife. The cops bust in, no knock, nothing. Um, and, you know, Ricardo Giddings is sitting there thinking that there's a home invasion. He defends himself and his wife. The police kill him and shoot his wife. She survived, luckily. Mm. But it's like these are incredibly dangerous raids where the police put themselves in harm's way, like violently attack and sometimes murder residents for the sake of what? In this case of Maurice Hill, the search warrant was because they suspected the residents had marijuana and they were intending to distribute it. Wow. This was a search warrant that led to a siege of the city because somebody was allegedly dealing weed. God damn. And, yeah. it, and, and it's good that police did not kill him, but this did end with Krasner basically making what, like some sort of lied about a, a plea bargain or something? Oh, God, this was so weird and gross. It, it reminded me of like the nerd in high school trying to cozy up with the bullies, you know? Krasner showed up on the scene um, during the standoff and spoke to Maurice Hill's lawyer and was personally negotiating with Hill. And once everything was over and Hill was taken into custody at the press conference the next day, Larry Krasner comes out and is bragging that he gave Maurice Hill a, quote, phony baloney plea deal. He basically said, if you surrender now, I'll make sure that, you know, you're not charged with what we'll give you a good, make sure that you get a bargain. Um, and then he came out and basically said, yeah, I was buying, um, to help the cops and the standoff, which in practice means that the top cop chief prosecutor of the city is now prosecuting a case against Maurice Hill that one, he's personally a witness to, and two, that he gave false legal advice to the defendant. <laughs> if that's not prosecutorial misconduct, uh, and, you know, potentially obstruction of justice. I, I don't know what is, yeah. but it's, it's a, it's just another case of these so-called progressive Democrats and, and every, you know, elected official in, in Philadelphia is uh, a Democrat. That's like the machine here, 
but they, they try and act tough and cozy up to the cops and say, see, we're actually, you know, on your side. We, you know, we're all fighting the good fight. Um, and it, yeah, it's just a, the history of the Philly DA's office is prosecutorial misconduct. And it seems that Krasner in this case is, you know, bragging about it. I want to bring up, especially, I, I just want to say real quick that, uh, a comrade of mine who's a great reporter, Betsy Piet, you know, she's a veteran. She was, you know, she was outside Attica when the Attica Rebellion happened. She was, you know, she's been to reporting on this abolition beat forever. Um, and she is writing an article that'll come out next week in Workers World about Krasner in particular, um, that when he was still a defender in the Defenders Association of Philadelphia, he argued a case uh, defending a person um, who was in an altercation with the police and argued that under the castle doctrine, um, this person had the right to uh, defend themselves. Uh, in, it was in 2013 uh, under presiding judge, uh, Judge Roger Gordon, and said that Pennsylvania has a, ca- a castle doctrine, you know, the self-defense statute. Yeah, similar to the standard ground laws. Exactly, exactly. Um, which, you know, we've seen put in place where uh, Zimmerman was able to murder a teenager, Trayvon Martin, for because he wanted to stand his ground. But yeah. when a black woman uses a gun to defend herself from a domestic abuser, that's not stand your ground. Yeah, the law is essentially to give white people a get out of jail free card when they kill black people. It rarely, if ever, goes the other way. Bingo. And, you know, I think that's a great way of putting it, too, Sam, because that's like this this bourgeois legalism that we have this sort of arcane set of laws. But if you hire the right wizard to help you traverse the arcane tomes like you can. And it's like now this is it's just a hyper complicated system so that, you know, we can criminalize black and brown existence in this country. Yeah. Um, but so Krasner, you know, while he was a defender in 2013, basically tried to make the case um, that the castle doctrine is a, like that is justified if you are defending yourself from illegal police violence. You know, if you're being brutalized by the police, the castle doctrine means you can defend yourself. And so it's just ironic that, you know, that was 2013. So not too many years later, um, Krasner is now making the argument for Maurice Hill that he needs to be taken. Like he literally said he needs to be off our streets, even though Hill had no open warrants. He was not the subject of this search. Um, and he defended himself when, you know, a bunch of armed gunmen broke into his house. Let's talk about Philly mayor, Jim Kenney, who, uh, like Krasner promised a bunch of things while he was campaigning and has failed to deliver a lot of these and instead has cozied up with the police. Um, you mentioned stop and frisk. This was something that, that Kenny campaigned to get rid of. It still exists. Um, you That's also right. make a point about Philly being a sanctuary city and how it's really not living up to that. Indeed. Um, I think it would surprise people to know. I mean, Philadelphia, it's between Baltimore and New York. It's in Pennsylvania. Uh, people would be surprised, I think, to know that the Philly has the most active and dangerous ICE headquarters in the country. The Philly ICE office 
rounds up and kidnaps more people than any other ICE department in the country. Though actually, some, after the Mississippi raids, those numbers might be different now when you know, the federal police went into a workplace and rounded up, you know, what was that, 600 workers. Um, but yeah, Mayor Kenny, he loves touting the fact that Philadelphia is a sanctuary city. Um, you know, immigrants are welcome here. Um, after a summer-long protest, um, not this summer, but last summer, um, Kenny did drop a sort of information sharing agreement that the police have with um, Customs and um, Immigration Enforcement. Um, but uh, that was after you know, months of protest, and it was a successful action that, that got him to not renew that agreement. Um, where basically they, you know, when when they're going to have, you know, warrants out for people's arrest, they also give a nod to to ICE um, about their immigration status. But you know, ICE is still operating in this city. It is rounding up people every day. We have the Burke's Detention Center, which is just outside the city, which is a privately run for-profit uh, concentration camp. And so it's just, you know, between the, it's a perfect encapsulation of what Philadelphia Democrats do. They campaign on immigrants are welcome here and stop and frisk, tear down the Rizzo statue. And then in practice, they uphold all these institutions of oppression. Um, There is, I I will say that there's a new pushback specifically on that question of Philadelphia's collusion with the federal immigration authorities. Um, there's an organization that we're starting called the Worker Solidarity Network. Uh, we've already had a couple different meetings. And basically, we're working on campaigns to target corporations that are headquartered in Philadelphia or have offices in Philadelphia that collaborate with immigration authorities. Um, that's Aramark good. I, I've seen the. Um, I've seen some of the Jewish organizations. Never again. Uh, Engage in similar activities and targeting Amazon as well, which works with ICE. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, JVP has been instrumental, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, in some of these Never Again Is Now um, protests as well. It's super inspiring. So, um, ra- wrapping all this up, Ted, um, yeah. you know, Philly isn't a case by itself, obviously. One of the one of the few good things that came out of the Obama Justice Department were a lot of these consent degrees, decrees with police departments across the country that laid out in pretty stark detail just how racist and abusive they are. Uh, we saw it in Cleveland, saw it in Chicago, mm-hmm. saw it in Baltimore and a few other uh, departments. So, you know, Philly we know is, is bad, but it's as bad as and could be worse in some areas as a lot of other major cities with police departments. It's a problem inherent in the police. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, most people make the know case, make now. the case here for, for yeah. the role police play in our capitalist society and what we need to do about it. 100%. You know, but po- the, the modern police that we see on the streets every day are the successors of the, the slave catching posses that existed, you know, in, in the 19th century and, and prior to that, you know, the goal of this, these institutions, these armed groups uh, deputized by the state are to protect and serve capital. They defend property, not people. 
They protect the interests of commerce in the city, not the safety of people going about their day. Um, and they are basically the attack dogs of the billionaire class that uh, needs to keep the working class in submission if they're going to you know, continue extracting uh, surplus value from our labor. You know, th this country is predicated on white supremacy. White supremacy is, at this point, one of the only pillars that this crumbling system can still rest on. You know, um, obviously, we are fighting a class war. You know, class is predominant. That is our analysis. That is our argument for how we're going to move history along and and really, you know, take back the power of our class from, you know, the you know, the, the rich ruling class. But that doesn't mean that racism and white supremacy is second. Class is predominant. Race, racism is not secondary. Um, it's, we can have two thoughts in our head at the same time, you know? Uh, yeah. the, these institutions that violently attack black and brown communities, that is part of, it's just another plank in the program of austerity, and neoliberal market reforms. And I genuinely think that as we're hurtling towards whatever the next crisis is going to be, whether it's going to be a war, whether it's going to be another recession, we're seeing this escalation of police violence on the communities because they're, they're preempting the fact that we're about to experience a huge economic downturn and people are going to be really pissed off. It's what we saw in the immediate aftermath of the 2008 financial collapse with Occupy, that in the years after that, it became more radical and more dedicated to fighting white supremacy. And we saw the, the birth of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, now, 10 years later, and we're hurtling towards another collapse, um, it seems like the police learned their lesson and they're already you know, really mobilizing for, for a fight. Yeah, And Sam, I know you've talked about this to folks too, because there are some, you know, I don't know if they're well-meaning or not. I was going to say they're well-meaning, but you know, folks who are on the progressive left who say it's just class, you know, like who, who were the, those podcast people who were interviewed recently and they said the U S is not a white supremacist country. Oh, yeah. The red scare. Yeah. Crew. yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, or the, you know, the, the idea that police violence is actually just about poverty you know, and, it, you know, to say that it's about white supremacy is, you know, missing the point. It's like, no, this is, that's, that's like saying, you know, the lynch mobs were actually just about poverty and, yeah. and <laughs> the rule of law. It's not, you know, we, we know that this is a white supremacist country. Um, and there's a, there's a two pronged issue here. If we want to abolish prisons once and for all, you know, fulfill the revolution of the post reconstruction, black reconstruction in this country, if we want to abolish the police and get rid of these slave catching units, the only way we're going to be able to do that is to get rid of the people holding their leashes. You know, who's paying for the cops? It is the capitalist state. Um, but also we're not going to be able to bond ourselves together as workers. If we are neglecting the fact that a huge segment of our class is under attack specifically because of the color of their skin, their race, their gender. Um, you know, if we're trying to build mass class solidarity, we can't be denying the reality of these, you know, atrocious crimes. Yeah. So that's, you know, we, 
the only way to get to abolition is through socialism. And the only way we're going to get to socialism is through abolition, really. Yeah, they work uh, hand in hand here. Well said. Ted Kelly, activist, journalist. You can find his latest piece over at Workers World right now. Check it out. And you can also follow Ted on Twitter at Teddy Redder. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. My pleasure, Sam. Thanks again to Ted. It's now time for the poetry portion of the show. New haiku for new Patreon subscribers. This first one goes out to Michael. Sorry that I ate the Popeye's chicken sandwich you had in the fridge. Thank you, Michael. That's a bit of wishful thinking I have not yet eaten the Popeye's chicken sandwich. It is still sold out across Pisstown. Next up, this goes to Italo. Hello, Italo. It's been a while, old friend. Here's a haiku for you. The sun grows bigger, so large it consumes the earth. No one will miss it. Thank you, Italo. Next up, this goes out to me or M-E. Don't nuke hurricanes. It won't work. Creates big mess. Nuke twisters instead. Thank you, M-E. And finally, this is for Devon. National Dog Day. Let's give it up for the pups. Better than humans. Thank you, Devon. And thank you to all the new subscribers. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. That will do it for the show today. Tune in tomorrow for a brand new edition of Chip Chat with Chip Gibbons. We'll be talking about the injustice facing whistleblower Daniel Hale, who disclosed rampant human rights abuses with the nation's drone assassination program. You don't want to miss that discussion. Back tomorrow in D.C. so you don't have to be.